wants to speak to me in a dream, I want to give him every opportunity I can to do that. So sometimes the most spiritual thing you do is go take a nap. Now, I, I didn't get anything this afternoon, but I'll try again a little later. All right. Thank you so much for the meal this evening. It was a great meal. I enjoyed it immensely. Well, thank you so much. Of course, we ate a big lunch, and then we ate a big... You eat dinner and evening here or supper? Thank you. Thank you, supper. Yeah, that's, that's what I grew up eating. We, you know, the only dinner we had was Sunday dinner. For some reason, that Sunday noon meal you call Sunday dinner. You know, have the preacher over and kill the chickens and fry them and that kind of stuff. And, but, uh, you know, some place I go, they don't, know, they don't do supper. You know, they just do, you know, I guess lunch and dinner. Uh, that's proper, I guess. But anyway, thank you. I'm glad y'all eat supper here. Turn to Luke chapter 15, please. Luke chapter 15. Let me give you the context of Luke chapter 15. Jesus is about to preach a sermon. Now, in my opinion, this is probably one of the greatest sermons Jesus preached that we have recorded. Now, I know a lot of people like the Sermon on the Mount. That's an amazing sermon. But I, I just, in this one sermon, I think Jesus gives us his whole purpose for coming. He'd said, he said, he said, he told us the purpose for coming. He said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, that's Jesus' purpose. That should be our purpose, Right? And so, if that's our purpose, then we should be looking for that which is lost. And so, Jesus, in the, in his, I want you to consider who the congregation is. In verses 1 and 2, it tells us who the congregation is. And then drew, verse 1, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him. So, first of all, there are going to be publicans and sinners here in this sermon. Now, these were people who were lost and knew they were lost. They didn't, Jesus didn't have to convince them they needed help. They knew they needed help. But then in verse 2, it tells us there's some others there as well. It says, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Oh, my word. I don't know about you, but I'm glad Jesus received sinners. Because if he did not receive sinners, I could never have approached him. I could have never come to him if he did not receive sinners. But these, pup, these Pharisees and scribes are listening. Now, they're lost, just as lost as the publicans and the sinners. But the thing is, they don't know they're lost. They think they're okay. They're religious. They think they're okay. So in this congregation of people who were lost and knew they were lost, people who were lost and didn't even know they were lost, Jesus is about to preach a sermon. I simply entitled this whole chapter it, for my personal benefit. It just helps me. I just call this Lessons from the Lost and Found. Because in this sermon, by the way, some of this chapter uh, are three different sermons, if you will. But I don't believe that. I believe it's one sermon, one parable with three points. All three points, they all talk about something, someone that's lost. And so in this three-point sermon Jesus preached, now I'm not going to try to preach the whole sermon tonight uh, that Jesus preached. Uh, you know, he, he can get preach a three-point sermon in a lot shorter period of time than I've been able to. I did try to preach all three of these one time, and, and, and after service, a guy comes out, shook my hand, and said, well, preach, that's, that's a pretty good series of sermons you preached for us tonight. And so, uh, yeah, <laughs> I got it, okay, I got it. Uh, and so I, I kind of take these a point at a time. And Lord, if the Lord leads, I, I, I may preach the first one tonight, the next one Monday night, the next one Tuesday night. But, uh, you know, if the Lord leads it, we'll do that. And sometimes he leads a different direction. But at this point, that's kind of what I'm looking to do. But tonight, we're going to look at this sermon. I'm going to introduce this sermon of Jesus. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of opinions today about what good preaching is. 
I mean, everybody's got their opinion about what good preaching is. Some people think it's good just because it's loud. Uh, some people think it's good because it's emotional. Some think people think it's good because it's not loud and emotional. And, uh, you know, some people think if it's not expository preaching or where you expose the text and, uh, or if it isn't textual preaching or, you know, uh, some people just, just really, you know, they have their own personal preferences. And some people like narrative type reading. I, I tend to, my gifts lean a little more to the narrative storytelling type sermons uh, <clears throat> because, <clears throat> to tell you the truth, I figured out one day, of all the preachers I could pattern myself after, Jesus was probably the, be the best one, wouldn't you think? So, you know, Jesus was, a, he, he was a... me on it all. I'm, I'm sorry. Whatever I did, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Are we good? Yeah, yeah. We got some power. There we go. There we go. All right. Where were we? Hmm. I was talking about different styles of preaching. You know, it's interesting to me if you study the Bible. I know the Bible tells us God calls men to preach, but once He calls, it's not a whole lot of instruction in the Bible about how you're supposed to preach. Have you noticed that? I mean, other than preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, with all long-suffering. Beyond that, it, it doesn't... And so I'm thinking maybe God wants us to use each one he calls their, their personal gifts and, and abilities and uh, in, in whatever fits them. Now, listen, it always needs to be biblical, whatever style it is. It must... And, 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 and it needs to... We need to keep it in its context. And so I want to preach this sermon in its context. He's preaching to lost people. And he's talking and preaching about things that are lost. And in all three of these points, we're going to see uh, the first one we'll look at more in depth tonight. But there's three things he talks First, he talks about a lost sheep. Secondly, he talks about a lost silver coin. And then third, he talks about a lost son. So three things that were lost. Now, there are some things in all three of these that are the same, that are similar. Uh, example, in all three, something or someone is lost, right? That's the same in all three. Also in all three, not only is something or someone lost, that which is lost needs to be found. That's the same in all three. Then also in all three, not only is something someone lost, not only is that which is lost needs to be found, but in all three, when that which is lost is found, somebody rejoices. The Bible tells us that the angels in heaven rejoice when a lost person comes to Christ here on earth. Whatever makes heaven rejoice ought to make us rejoice tonight. Amen? So as we look at these three, it's not the things that are the same that draw my attention. One day I studied this, and it's the things that are different in the three things that are lost that drew my attention. And so we're going to focus primarily tonight on the first one of these. and It begins in verse 3 of Luke chapter 15, and notice what it says. And he, Jesus, spake this parable unto them, saying, by the way, notice it says parable, singular. It's one parable, not three. He spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no 
repentance. Now, as we see this first point of Jesus' sermon, he talks about a lost sheep. Now, there's some things I want us to consider about this lost sheep. First of all, I want you to, to, to con- just consider with me, when that sheep found, discovered that it was lost, it knew it was lost, but it didn't know how to be found. Now, I, I understand there's some things about sheep, and I see maybe that's why God compares us to sheep. You, you know why he compares us to sheep? Because sheep are dumb. You know the thing about sheep, they're just dumb. They, they're, they're defenseless. They, they don't have claws and, uh, and big teeth and can't even run that fast to get away sometimes. They're defenseless. They're directionless. They, they don't know which way to go. They are dependent. Everything they have is dependent upon the shepherd. It's my understanding as sheep are eating, as they're grazing, sometime when we're having an eating meeting, watch, uh, watch people. I'm a, I'm a people watcher. I, I love to watch people. I sit in airports. There's some strange people come through airports. I've sat by a lot of them on airplanes, too, and <clears throat> some odd people. But, but just watch. Some people, when, when, when the plate goes down, their head goes down, and their head doesn't come up, they are, they're on a mission. And their head doesn't come up till the plate is empty. Now, I, I, I have to confess that's kind of the way I eat uh, uh, because in basic training, Fort Lewin, Missouri, 1976, they'd run us into the chow hall, make us swallow our food whole, and run us back out. So I, got, I ate my food fast then. I, I mean, I'm on a mission, get this done, so I'll move on to something else. And so I, it's been hard to stop that over the years and slow down. So, but, but sheep, as they're grazing, as they're eating, as they got their faces around, they don't pay attention to what's going on around them. They don't watch. They're not looking for danger. They're not looking for things uh, that, that, that might be a danger. They're not looking where they're going. And so many times as they've grazed and they begin to wander away, by the time they look up, they don't see the other sheep. They don't see the shepherd anywhere. Now, they, that sheep knows it's lost, but it doesn't know how to be found. It doesn't know how. It didn't watch how it came. It doesn't know how to get back to where the shepherd and the other sheep are. So it needs someone to come and find it. Now, this sheep had wandered out in the wilderness, out on the mountains, the Bible says. So the shepherd, when he realizes the sheep is lost, he puts the 99 safe in the fold, and he goes searching for that lost sheep. Now, there's something about this that I want you to be sure and you get. And for years I've studied this, for years I've preached this, years I've taught this, and I never, and this thought never entered my mind. I want you to think with me, who lost the sheep? Now, the sheep didn't lose itself, okay, because sheep are dependent on someone else to help them get around. Sheep didn't lose itself. God didn't lose the sheep. God knew where the sheep was all along. That sheep was never lost from God. He, he knows where his sheep are. Well, who lost the sheep? Well, what does the, what does the text tell us? It says if a man has 100 sheep and he loses one of them. You know who lost the sheep? The shepherd lost the sheep. Shepherd lost the sheep. Now listen, when that hit me for the first time, I mean, I, had, I guess I knew that, but I just never had thought about it. That it was the shepherd, wasn't the sheep? See, the, the sheep was the responsibility of the shepherd. It was his obligation, his responsibility to watch that sheep, to, to warn that sheep when danger is coming, to tr- make sure that that sheep is safe. But the shepherd lost the sheep. And when that hit me one day, I began to think back when I was a pastor. I, I pastored for about 13 years before I started doing what I do now and uh, traveling. I'm, I'm in about 45 to 50 different churches every year. I have been for the last nearly 26 years or so. And uh, <clears throat> so, but I, I remember as a pastor, I, I pastored nine years in Cookville, Tennessee. That's about halfway between Nashville and Knoxville. It's a college town. Tennessee Tech University is there. So we, Kathy and I, we, the kids, we were there for about nine years. While I was pastoring there, one day I'm sitting in my office, 
And there's a knock on my door. So I went to the door, and it was one of the men that was working in our parking lot. They were resealing our parking lot and restriping the, the parking spaces. So he comes in. He says, Pastor, he says, we're ready to start painting the spaces. He says, you have somebody here to come show us where the handicapped spaces need to be painted. I'm thinking, okay, a handicapped spaces. How hard can that be to figure out where those go? I mean, closest to the door, easiest access, you with me? I'm thinking, well, I'm a pastor. I can't see nobody there, nobody else there but me from the church. I, well, surely I can make that decision. I, I think I can handle this. I said, well, I, I, I'll show you. So I go and I show them where to paint the, the handicapped spaces. Well, I come back in my office. I sit out at my desk, and I'm thinking, I've done a good thing. I have got, I have, I've accomplished something today. He said, I've done a good thing. <laughs> but, oh, I hadn't done a good thing. The next day, knock on my office door. Open the door, and it was, it was Brother Albert, who was the chairman of our trustee board. And it was obviously somebody made him mad before he got there. He said, can I talk to you? And I said, well, sure. So I, I go around behind my desk. I, sit down. I thought he was sitting on my couch. So I, I turned around. He was old, leaning over my desk. He had his finger up. He says, I want to know who told him where to paint those handicapped spaces. He said, you did? I said, yeah. He said, you had no right. You had no authority. To, you overstepped your authority. That is my job. That is my responsibility. That is my obligation. He says, and you had no right to do that. Now, I wish I could tell you I responded to him in a kind and gracious way. I always want to, and I always try to. But sometimes I'm thinking, I thought I'd done a good thing. I mean, come on, it's, it's parking spaces. And as the pastor, I don't have the authority. And so, I'm sorry, but what I said was, I said, let me tell you something right now, buddy. Pastor of church trumps chairman of trustee board every time. Talk to me that way. I'm the pastor of the church. I could tell you that made him matter. That would be an understatement. Listen, his cheeks puffed out. The veins popped out on the side of his neck. His face got red. He looked at me, and this is what he said. He said, I'll tell you something right now, Pastor. When I walk out of this door today, I will never, ever set foot in this church again. And he stomped out of my office. Now the church, and that day, started keeping that promise to never step foot in our church again. The thing was, he lived one mile from the church. I lived two miles I had to pass his house. He lived halfway between me and the church. I had to pass his house many times through the day. And he liked to work in his yard. If the weather was nice, he was always working in his yard doing something. He had fruit trees and nut trees. And, and before we had our little conversation and discussion in my office that day, uh, many times if he was in his yard, I'd be coming by. If I had Nicole and Ryan in the car with me, they were in the elementary school at the time. And if I had them, they, they always wanted to stop and see Brother Albert because, listen, my, my kids love Brother Albert, his wife, Miss Della, and, and they love my kids. And I'd pull in the driveway if he was there, and, and my kids, then they'd jump out, and they'd run, and they'd jump up and hug his neck and kiss him on the cheek. And when we'd leave, they'd, their pockets would be full of toys and candy and apples and fruit and nuts and things out of his, his yard. And, and, and my kids loved Brother Albert. But let me tell you, I wasn't stopping. He had no right to talk to me. Like I was his pastor. He had no right to talk to me that way. I wasn't going to stop. So now months, several months passed, and I passed many times, and I'm not stopping. One day, we're getting kind of close. My son, Ryan, was about five or six years old at the time. Getting close to the house, he says, Daddy, don't you think it's time we, we stop and talk to Brother Albert? Don't you hate it when your kids do that stuff? I didn't want to talk to Brother Albert. 
But I said, yeah, son, I guess you're right. Ryan was our, was our child. You never knew what that boy was going to say. And where did that come? For instance, he, he was notoriously slow getting ready for church. We would come by his bedroom and, on Sundays, and, and it was in us, Ryan, get ready. We've got to go five minutes. And, you know, and he's got, maybe got his pants about on. And, and he'd come back, and he's just, son, get your shoes and socks on. we got to go back five minutes later, he's got one sock on. Get your socks. So finally, one Sunday morning, I just had it. I, I'd been by so many times, and he still had one shoe he hadn't even had on yet. And I, just, I, I, said, I said, son, I said, let me tell you something. You get your shoes on right now and be ready for church, or me and you fixing to have trouble. He said, I've been thinking about this, Dad. Thinking about what? He said, this problem me and you had. I said, well, what have you been thinking about this problem? He said, I've been thinking if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned in the Garden of Eden, we wouldn't have to wear clothes, man, you wouldn't be having this problem. <laughs> I'm thinking, I wanted to just kill him, but I couldn't. I, I just had to walk out and laugh. We never knew where he was, what was coming out of that boy's mouth. He said, Daddy, don't you think it's time we stop and saw Brother Albert? Well, I turned in, and I, listen, I'm praying, Lord, don't let me in the yard, don't let me. Well, you know he was, right? He was. We pulled in. The kids jump out like nothing ever happened, run and jump, hug, hug, kiss his cheek and hug his neck. And I went over, and I stuck out my hand. He stuck his out. We kind of shook hands and grunted. And, and that's about the extent of our conversation. He just talked with the children. That's the time we were there, and then we left. And then the months that passed, ever so often when we were coming by, if he was outside, I'd stop so the kids could see him. And by the way, he had not come back to church. Not, well, let me rephrase it. He had come. He was at church every time. Let me tell you why. His wife, Miss Della, had never had a driver's license in her life. So he had to take her everywhere. So she wanted to be there for Sunday school, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, women's auxiliary meetings, every night of camp meeting, every night of revival. And listen, he lived one mile away, but he, he would drive her, and she'd get, he would sit in his car in the parking lot while we're having church. She, I mean, wouldn't even go one mile home. And when, she was, when it was over, she could get a car. So he was at church every time we had church. He just sitting in his car in the parking lot. Still mad at the preacher. One day we're getting close to his house. As we got closer and closer, the Holy Spirit of God began to convict my heart. And help me realize something I hadn't even thought about. You see... Brother Albert, he was the chairman of our trustee board, and he was an excellent chairman of the trustee board. He was good with his hands. He knew how to, he knew how to do things. And listen, he, he, did, he, he took care of things. He did things. He did it right. And I didn't have to worry about those things. And, and I realized that was his identity in our church. And I'd taken that away from him. I didn't mean to. I didn't plan to. I just didn't think. Listen, I could have called him. He'd have been there in five minutes. I just didn't think. But I had taken away his identity in our church. It was my fault. I was the one that was wrong. So I'm praying, Lord, please let him be in the yard. And he was. And I pulled in. This time I beat the children to him. And I grabbed him and I hugged his neck. And I said, Brother Albert, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to get so mad at you in the office. And oh, Please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to take away your job. I, I just didn't think. I could have called you. I know you'd have been here in five minutes. I just I didn't do it on purpose, brother. But I, but I, I just didn't think. Will you please forgive me? Will you please come back to our church? We miss you so much. His head down, he just kind of grunted. And he said, well, I'll think about it. 
So that's where we left it. I stopped from time to time after that as the weeks continued to pass. And every time I'd apologize to him and beg him to come back to our church. Because you see, I lost the sheep. It was my responsibility. And I lost the sheep. Can I just tell you something, Hyde? Sometimes we need to get over ourselves. And there's some people we need to go to and apologize for some things we've said and done that hurt them. Maybe we didn't mean to. Maybe we didn't even think about it. Maybe we didn't even consider. But we said some things that hurt people nonetheless. We need to get over ourselves and get over our stinking pride and go apologize to some people for some things because some of us, we've all probably had some hand in losing some sheep over the years. After several weeks, me going back and begging him to come back to church, one morning early, my phone rang, and it was Brother Albert. I could tell he was upset. And he called to tell me his wife, Miss Della, had, had passed away in her sleep. Now, she, they were older, they were retired, and, and, uh, but she, and she had a few health things, but nothing they thought was, was she was going to die from soon. So it was very unexpected. And he says, Pastor, I just want to know, can we use the church for her funeral? Would you, be, would you preach her funeral? I said, Brother, I can't believe you don't have to ask me. I said, sure, you can use the church. We'll make food. We'll do whatever you need for meals, food. Listen, you know I'd be honored. I'd be honored to preach her funeral. What a great godly woman she was. First time a man set foot in our church after months and months and months, when he stomped out that day, was he came in to his wife's funeral. After her funeral, several weeks passed. And he hadn't come back. I keep praying, Lord, please touch his heart. Please help him to know we love him. We want him to come back. A few weeks after that funeral, one Sunday morning, I'm in the pulpit. I'm just about 10 minutes into my sermon. All of a sudden, the double doors back there, we had three sections like this. It went back about 25 rows, and we had a single door, double doors, double doors, single doors. And he stepped in the double doors where the center section would have been here. He comes like down this aisle here. He stepped, and he closed on, and he just stands there like, like he's not sure what to do. And so at this point, I'm the only one that sees him back there. So, so he's, uh, I wouldn't finish with my sermon, you hear? i just getting started, but it was over. I shut my Bible. I ran across the stage, came down the steps on the side, Came around in front of this section here, all our teenagers sat. We had about 80 to 100 teenagers. It was set about 13 pews deep in this section every service. I started running down this aisle. Now, they were used to seeing me do that, but they'd never seen me do that not saying anything. So, they, what's, 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 where's Brother Crow going? What's wrong? And so, as I get farther back, they began. everybody begins to turn their head when they see Brother Albert standing there. When I got to him, listen, I grabbed him and I hugged his neck. I said, oh, Brother Albert, thank you so much for coming back to God's house. We've missed you so much. You know, Miss Della's smiling in heaven right now because you're here today. And, oh, I looked around and, the, like I said, my sermon wasn't done. But it was over. The place came unglued. 
I, people just started coming from where they were in the pews, down the aisles. They got, listen, they were shaking his hand and hugging his neck and kissing him all over the face. And we had a lot of older ladies that went pretty heavy on the lipstick and makeup. And they just loved to smear that stuff on you. I was a kiss face kissing this bunch of people I have been around in my life. Me and Kathy and the kids, we go home sometime from church. We look almost like circus clowns. We'd have lipstick and makeup from our collars to our foreheads. And uh, some of the lovingest people and sweetest people I ever had the privilege to be around. And we rejoiced that day. Yeah, I didn't finish that sermon. <laughs> it was over. God had already preached the, the best sermon could have been preached that day. And we welcomed Brother Albert back into the fold. You see, sometimes we're responsible for losing sheep. Now, before you think the pastor is the only shepherd in church, hold on. Now, we have a chief shepherd, the good shepherd, that's Jesus Christ. He's the shepherd over his church, universal. But under the chief shepherd, you have some under-shepherds, that's his pastors, who pastor the churches. But in the church, under the pastor, are other shepherds, under-shepherds to the pastor. If you teach a Sunday school class, you're the shepherd of that class. If you uh, work with the young people or the music, you're a shepherd over the people involved in the music, people involved in the youth program. You're a shepherd over, over those ministries in the church. Oh, by the way, all you parents and grandparents, guess what? You're the shepherds over your children and your grandchildren. You're, you're to be, let me just make a statement here. I, I've come to believe this with everything that's in me. Every Christian should be a shepherd to somebody. Every Christian should be a shepherd to somebody. Because I want you to understand, there are some people that your pastor may never have influence with, but you can. Hmm. If the church could get a hold of this, we wouldn't have to have revival meetings to have revival. If Christians just started being concerned about being shepherd to others, others you see struggling in their walk with Christ, that go to church with you. Others that you work with that are struggling, that need somebody to care, somebody to love them, somebody to shepherd them. People you go to school with, people in your family, an extended family that need, if, there are some people that if you don't become a shepherd to them, they may never be found. This thing of being a shepherd. God's been really driving this thing home in my heart over the last few years about how important it is for us to be shepherds to others. And uh, one of the main reasons, I guess, is because I've told you I have two children. We, we have Ryan, our son, who's 35. Our daughter, Nicole, will be 40 in December. Uh, when they were growing up at home, uh, when they were teenagers, of course, Nicole's about five years old, Ryan, but, but if you knew both my children through their teenage lives, okay, then I, and I would have said to you back then, I've said, you know, one of my children, when they get, get out on their own and get away from us, they're going to get out of church and get away from the Lord. Who do you think it'd be? I guarantee you, if you knew both my children, their teenage years, you, every one of you would say, well, it's bound to be your daughter, Nicole. Now, let me tell you why. She, I mean, morally, she was a good, went to a Christian school. She was, morally was a good girl. She just had an attitude. Now, I know what you, you know what I'm talking about. You had teenage daughters. You, you know what I'm talking about. And sons, too, for that matter. But Nicole, listen, she, that teenage attitude started kicking in when she was like nine. And, and she got her dose and somebody else's dose, too. I mean, she questioned everything. 
goodness. Uh, Leslie and, and Aaron, they know my daughter, Nicole, and, and, and she still got a little of that. <laughs> still got some attitude. Of course, to be a pastor's wife, I think you need a little attitude. And uh, she is a pastor's wife now. And, and you, I mean, you just wouldn't have thought it had been, you know, wouldn't have thought it had been Ryan. You, but it had to be Nicole. Because, listen, she'd, she'd get on this thing. She'd say, I hate being a pastor's kid. Can't, when you're the preacher, you can't do anything. I can't go here because I'm the pastor's daughter. I can't dress this way because I'm the pastor's daughter. I mean, I, she, I, and she'd be on that. And Ryan just sit there and finally he'd say, Sissy, I've been thinking about this. <laughs> she said, what you been thinking? She said, I've been thinking, had you rather our daddy be a drunk and just take his paycheck on Friday and spend it all before he gets home, come home drunk and beat us every night? Is that what you'd rather? She'd say, I hate your guts. <laughs> So if you knew my children, and then she'd say, I'll never marry a preacher. I said, be careful what you say, little girl. Yeah, she married a preacher. She knew he was a preacher when she married him, so she can't say she, he tricked her. And she's now an amazing pastor's wife. She's principal of a Christian elementary school in Pleasant View, Tennessee, and an amazing mother and wife, and we're so proud of her. But you wouldn't have thought Ryan, not, not Ryan. I mean, listen, when he was in elementary school, he, he, he'd come home and his mother, Kathy, she, she was like the administrative assistant to the lady principal where my children went to elementary school. And so they'd come home telling me where Ryan had led one of his friends to the Lord at the, at the table in the, in the cafeteria at lunch or led one of his friends to the Lord out on the playground. And uh, he even preached a few times when he was 14 years old and, and uh, felt like I thought God might want him to be a preacher. But then I'm not sure what happened. I, I don't know if he's running from God, what he thought God wanted him to do, or if he's running from me and Kathy, or just running from himself. But when he's 19, he just he started. He, he thought it'd be a good idea just to travel the country and live out of his car. <laughs> yeah, that nothing about that sounds appealing to me. Of course, I know I'm 63 years old. I don't think that would have appealed to me when I was 19 years old. But uh, you know, Kathy, I tell people, Kathy, my wife, she she lived such a morally clean life growing up. Uh, she, I mean, she never did anything. She's never said a bad word in her life, ever. But we do believe that one, Ryan's goal, <laughs> it was Ryan's goal when he was 19 years old, his goal was to get his mama to cuss. Now, she never did, but this one time she came and she handed me a pad of paper and a pen, she said, write down some cuss words. I said, what? She says, I'm going to sign them. <laughs> I, said, I said, what makes you think I know some? She said, oh, you know some. <laughs> And so he's been running ever since. They lived in Seattle, Washington for several years. Uh, he and his wife Kelly are whitewater raft guides. They were for years whitewater raft guides and mountain climbers and kayakers. And I mean, they love that. That's how they actually met uh, and then got married. And his wife Kelly grew up in Spokane, Washington. And she wasn't raised in church uh, to go anywhere. And uh, sweet girl, sweet girl. We love her so much. Uh, but uh, she just wasn't raised to go to church. Uh, they just moved to Boise, Idaho a few weeks ago. Ryan took a job there, and they, they're now there. And, and uh, listen, God's been working. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. God, I've had people praying for him all over this country. Listen, he has, he has what I believe much more, many more preacher gifts and abilities than I have. He has such an analytical mind, and he can just put things together in such a way. It's just amazing. He had far more potential than I'll ever have as a preacher. It breaks our heart to see them not going to church. 
They have so much to offer. Him and her both have the biggest hearts. They would literally take the clothes off their back and give them to you if they thought you needed them. They love people. And uh, Brian plays the guitar and sings and writes songs. What a waste. What a waste. What, what, a, what a blessing they could be to some church and some pastor. For many years I prayed and I'd say, God help me to know, help me and Kathy to know the right thing to say to them and the right way to live and, uh, you know, and help us not say things that are going to push them farther away. I prayed that for years, but one day I was praying for them and it hit me. And God had been working on me about this thing about being a shepherd and it hit me. And I started praying this way. I said, Lord, I've never asked you for this. I've always asked you to use me and Kathy. Lord, would you please touch the heart of some good shepherd? I believe God's got good shepherds all over this world, don't you? Please touch the heart of some good shepherd that works in the same company they work. Touch the heart of some good shepherd that lives in the same neighborhood where they live. Touch the heart of some good shepherd that likes to climb mountains and whitewater raft and kayak and, and, that, and put them in Ryan and Kelly's life and let them become friends and let them have an influence and let them say things to them. They won't get mad if they say it. They get mad when we say it, but they won't be, get mad when they say it to them. It means all the difference in the world. And so I began praying for God to touch the heart of some good shepherd and put them in their lives. But one day as I was praying that, God kind of spoke to my heart again, and, and it hit me. If I'm going to ask God to do that for me, for my children, i got to be willing for God to do that to me, speak to my heart, and let me be a good shepherd to somebody else's children and grandchildren. See, it's one thing to pray and ask God to do it for you. It's another altogether to pray and ask God to help you be it for somebody else. But with all of my heart, I think this, has, this is what being a shepherd is. You know, I don't need, I, we talk a lot about discipleship. I'm telling you, I think the word is, is shepherd, is being a shepherd, because that involves discipleship, and it's so much more than just discipleship. You become a part of people's lives, and, and you gain influence with them. That's when you're going to be able to see discipleship take place, when you have that kind of influence in people's lives. And, uh, and I realize that all these years I've been traveling, that's what God's been letting me do. Well, I've been praying for mine. And asking God to touch the heart of some good shepherd and put them in my children's lives. God's been letting me get to do that in church after church all across this country. A few years ago, several years ago now, I went to preach a church in a, in a place, in Real Baptist Church, and went to a revival, first time I was there. And uh, Sunday morning, there was a, <coughs> an older lady came up to me. She said, Brother Crow, this may sound like an unused question, but said, if you could have your favorite meal, what would it be? I said, you really want to know? She said, yeah. I said, you're not going to believe me? She said, well, tell me. I said, if I could have my favorite meal, it would be fried pork chops, which is what we had for lunch today. <laughs> fried pork chops, sauerkraut, crowder peas, or some people call them field peas, sliced tomatoes, and cornbread. I said, no, not cake, cornbread. Cornbread is not supposed to be sweet. That's cake. I like cake. But I don't want it in my cornbread. She said, that's really, I said, you asked me, that, that's my, she, so that week she went there where she finally found some crowder peas, and I don't know where she all went. And so she pre prepared a meal for church one night that week, and so I came, and <clears throat> so it was this lady, that had asked me her daughter, and then her granddaughter. 
My granddaughter was probably eight or nine years old at the time. And I, I just, you know, I, I was impressed with, with, with the, da- the granddaughter. And for one thing, she had on cowboy boots, so we kind of related, you know. So we'd talk about, <coughs> about cowboy boots. And, but she was just so sweet. And she, I mean, she'd, Brother Crow, can I get you something else to drink? And can I put your plate up? And, and, but it wasn't just me. I mean, everybody, she just helpful. Everybody there, she's just so helpful to everybody. And so I just, and I just, so I just invested some time. And, you know, and every time she, I'd say, well, how, how was school today? And, you know, just, just invested a little time. While I was there, just a few days there, you can't invest, but you know, you can invest in people's lives wherever you are. And so, I, I, before I left, me and the pastor and his wife and went and took the, the, the young girl and her mother, and they had the boot store there closed where I bought lots of boots over the years. And uh, we went there, and I, I bought her a pair of boots and, and gave to her. And you know, just like I said, just invest in her life a little bit. Now, I knew I never, I never met her father, but I didn't know much about the story uh, at that point. And then, so when I come back the next time, she's about 13, 14 years old. And of course, she's outgrown those boots I bought her when she was eight or nine. And so, again, I just invested some time talking with her, how her life was going, schoolhouse school and all these things, church. And, and, and I still know she, I never met her father and never heard him say much about him. And, uh, but I took her and I got her another pair of boots while I was there that time and just kind of continued that, that friendship with her. And, uh, but while I was there that time, the pastor told me, that her father had left her and her mother when she was just little. And uh, he didn't move away. He lives in the same town, works in the same town. But he never wants to see, not only didn't want to see his ex-wife, he never wants to see his daughter. He don't want to talk to her. He don't want to see her. He don't want to spend any time. Now, I'm going to tell you something. For the life of me, I don't get that. I, just, I do not get that. I don't understand that. I, I can't imagine how bad my children have to be for me not to want to have anything to do with them. So the next time I went, we continued, and then so I was, just, I was there again just this past fall. She's now she was a senior in high school this past fall, and uh, God was just doing some great things in her life. And when I got there this time, it'd been a couple of years since I was there. And uh, the pastor, when I got there, the pastor told me he said, you know, her mother met a, a, a gentleman, and they'd known each other and were friends for some time. But said they started dating, and this guy was a children's pastor, and so they they got married. And, and this guy told you know told her mom and hurt the girl said you know said listen I I love you I, I won't, I'll never leave you. Well, he said within a year he'd left both of them. And so now this girl's grown up. Feeling like she has a daddy that doesn't love her, and now a stepdaddy that doesn't love her, and uh, so I was there this fall, and I found out the rest of that story. And again, I just had talked with her, and uh, listen, she'd just been selected homecoming queen, and uh, played tennis, and had won a state championship or some kind, and was in some kind of state religious organization that worked with Christian schools in that state. Uh, just a, has a, had a great t- Christian testimony and witness, in spite of all of that. And, uh, and again, I just, like I said, I just tried to invest in her life and, and, and all. You know, you know what? Sometimes it doesn't take much. Just have a conversation. Show some interest in what they're inter- interested in. Uh, I learned a long time ago, you don't have to be rich to be generous. It's not about, generosity is not about how much you have. It's about how much you realize that all you have belongs to God anyway. And he has a right to tell you what to do with any and all of it. That's really what generosity is about. It's an attitude of heart. It doesn't have a lot, th- lot to do with things. That's how we always categorize generosity as, as things. But it's not just about that. Well, 
I preached this message about being a shepherd there this last fall. And after the service on Wednesday night, I preached this on Tuesday night. After service Wednesday night, the last night, her mother comes to me and she gives me a card. She says, read this when you get back to your room. And I got to my room and I opened this. This is what it said. It said, preacher, they call me Preacher Crow. It said, Preacher Crow, you don't know what an impact you've had on my daughter's life. She's grown up feeling like her daddy doesn't love her and her stepdaddy doesn't love her. She said, but she tells everybody, my daddy don't love me, my stepdaddy don't love me, but Preacher Crow loves me. She said, I just want to say thank you for being a shepherd and a good male influence in my daughter's life. <laughs> this summer, she was going to be starting school, college this fall, and her and one of her friends came to Nashville. Uh, they wanted to come and see some of the sites in Nashville, and so they came and uh, Kathy and I took them to, to, to lunch one day and spent some time with them, and then took them downtown Nashville. And, and, uh, and, I, was, and I was excited because Kathy got to meet, she had not got to meet her, and she got to meet my wife Kathy, and Kathy met her and her friend. And uh, just uh, in college, doing well. I, I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, sometimes it takes so little. But you may have to give some of your time away. You may have to give some of your things away. Invest in people. I tell people, I've never bought a stock, bond, or a mutual fund in my life. Now, I'm trying to get ready for retirement. I'm getting close to that age. It's on my mind more. But I don't worry about those things. But you know what? I just figure I want to invest in people because the return is so much greater when you invest in people and invest in their lives and be a shepherd to them. So the shepherd lost the sheep. You know, there's no reason he put the 99 in the fold, and left them safe. There's no reason he went, no, there's no wonder he went out into the wilderness, out into the dangers of the wilderness. There's no wonder he went out to find that sheep because he lost it. That's why he went and looked until he found it. And he put it on his shoulders and he carried it home. And when he got back, they all rejoiced because that sheep that had been lost had been found. See, the story's not just about sheep. It's about a lot of us. Some of us have been that lost sheep out away from the fold for whatever reasons. Maybe it was our fault. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe someone contributed to that. But it doesn't matter. If you're lost out from the fold, you're still lost nonetheless, no matter whether it was yours or the shepherd's fault. And I'm praying God will put a good shepherd in your life if that's the case. I can't tell you how how much enjoyment I get when I've been in a meeting and after service a young couple many times will come out and they'll hug my neck and they say Brother Crow we were both raised in church but we got married got out from home and we got out of church and we've been out of church and our parents and our grandparents have been praying for us and trying to get us to go to church and somebody we work with or went to school with invited us to the services here and he said, we just want you to know we went to the altar tonight and we, we got things right with the Lord. No, we can't wait to get out of church here and, and call our parents, and call our grandparents. <laughs> Listen, that's a feeling that you can't get from anything else in this world. Feel like maybe you've had a little bit of influence, just able to be a shepherd to them. If it's just for a few days and services that I get to be there, and I keep praying because God's already speaking to the hearts of some good shepherds that he's put in my son and his wife's life. And God's moving. 
And we're hearing them say things they've not said. <laughs> and they're li listening to things we say they've not listened to before. So I know God's hearing our prayer, and I know God's working. Just like He will in your children, your grandchildren, it may be a way. And I know it just about everywhere I go, there's somebody, you've got family, somebody you love, somebody you care about that's lost away from, from God's house. And maybe He wants to use you to be that good shepherd for them. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I, I don't know your life. I, I don't know what you need tonight. I don't even know how faithful you may be or not be to this church. I, I know none of those things. When I come in, that's, I don't want to know those things because I would never want that to influence anything I say or preach. I want to preach exactly what God puts on my heart to preach. And if you're here tonight, maybe you've been one of those that's been lost out from the fold. I don't know that, but God does. And you do. And can I just tell you, whatever reason you're out there away from Him is not a good reason. Whether it was you or somebody else, oh, please. <laughs> let somebody here be a shepherd to you. If God can use me, let me be a shepherd to you. And help you to understand that there are people who care. Care about you and where you are right now. So many of you may have friends and family. People you love dearly. They're out from church and away from the Lord. And you've been praying so long for them. Maybe... Start praying like Kathy and I pray. And say, Lord, please touch the heart of some good shepherd where they live. Where they work, where they go to school. In their circle of influence. And let them have influence. Let them be a good shepherd to my children, my grandchildren, those that I love. That when I say things to them, it makes them mad and turns them away. But they could say the same things that we've said. And they'll not get mad. Maybe you need to pray for them that way. But maybe we all ought to get around this altar and say, Lord, for all the prayers you've answered for us, for all the things you've done for us, speak to my heart, Lord. Let me be that good shepherd for somebody else's family, somebody else's children and grandchildren. Let me have some influence. Let me invest some time whatever else can invest in their lives. God, use us. Use us tonight. Lord, you said you came to seek and to save that which is lost. And in this one sermon, you laid the foundation of your whole purpose for being here. But we all were lost without you. Until one day, <laughs> we were found. Lord, I'll never get over the night that I was found. I'll never get over the people you put in my life that influenced my life. And they invested in me. They invested their time and their money and their things. Invested in me. And were a shepherd to me. I'll never get over that. And Lord, I don't ever want to get over it. I just want to be that shepherd for someone else. And Lord... I just pray you speak to our hearts tonight. 
don't let us leave here the same as we came in. Some of us may need to go and apologize to some people for some things we've said and done. Just tell them we just want them to know we love them. We'd sure love to have them in church. We'd sure love to see them around here. Fellowship together. Lord, you speak to our hearts. I don't know what these folks need, Lord. I know you put this on my heart. I, I was so torn all afternoon what to preach tonight. Torn between two messages. Just a few minutes before the service, Lord, that you nailed this down. But, Lord, you nailed it down with an exclamation point to my heart. So I believe it's what you wanted preached this evening. Or somebody here needed to hear it. So, Lord, I pray they've heard it. And then I pray, Lord, they'll respond to it the way you want them to respond. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand quietly to your feet as we stand in prayerful attitude. We're going to begin to sing a song of invitation. It'll be a song I'm sure you know. Uh, you, you can sing along. But I want you to focus on what God wants you to do tonight. Maybe you need to come to this altar tonight and pray again for some people you love that are out away from church and away from the Lord. Maybe you want to come and pray that kind of prayer that Kathy and I pray. Touch the heart of some good shepherd where they are that can have influence in their lives. And like I said, maybe me and everybody here, maybe every one of us ought to get around this altar and say, God, touch our hearts and let us be a good shepherd <laughs> to somebody else's loved ones. Help us, use us to influence them and have their, see their life changed for you. Whatever your need is tonight, maybe you're that one that's been out lost from the fold. Well, you know what? You're here tonight, and with everything that's in me, I believe you can be found. Oh, you came to the service. Don't leave here without being found in Christ. You may need to come to this altar. If there's somebody here you've got confidence in, you can just touch their arm, and they'll, I guarantee you they'll come and pray with you. They'll come and pray with you, I promise you. If they won't, I promise you I will. I will. As we begin to sing the song, one's already slipped out and come. God's speaking to you. They sing, don't wait for somebody else. Don't let Satan talk you out of it. Don't hesitate. Come on right now as we begin to sing. That's right. You're doing right. That's right. Don't you ever be ashamed to come to the altar and pray. Only thing that will make us ashamed, embarrassed, is to feel the need to come and then not come. These are here. How about you? How about you? We're not going to tarry long. You've been so kind and patient already. Thank you so much. But I want time for God to speak to you and you to respond. Sing another verse. These are praying. You come on.
praying. You just remain in prayerful attitude. I'm going to have the pastor come and close as he sees fit. wonderful challenge from God's word and uh, I hope we'll uh, hear that message and uh, hear uh, what the Lord would have to say to us and uh, Lord that uh, you know are there uh, someone that maybe the Lord needs to lay on our hearts and I have a feeling the Lord has laid some folks on your heart that you need to shepherd. That you need to care for and let them know that not only do you love them, but there's a God that loves them and a God that wants to know them. I know I'm thankful that somebody came and shared that message with me many years ago. And I hope you are as well. You see, that's good news not just for me, but it's good news for anyone that will hear it. And anyone that will receive it, God receives us just as we are. But friend, I know from experience, he'll take you just as you are, but he will not leave you like he found you. He changes your life and, and makes you into to something much better. So God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Um, I hope you'll join us tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Uh, same bat channel, same bat time. Uh, the... Uh, so I hope you'll come back and join us tonight. Uh, I know uh, God has given uh, Brother David another good message for us and that we need to, that we stand in need of. And I think we've all needed, had something that the Lord has said to us through uh, this message tonight. And so it's hard for the Lord to speak to us if we're not here uh, to hear the message. And uh, so yeah, pray that you'll join us again um, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock and be praying for our services and ask God to speak uh, to your heart and that God will speak to others' hearts as well and God will do a great work. Uh, not that we just have meetings. Uh, that's not why we're having these extra church services, not just so that we can turn the lights on in this building uh, three extra nights, uh, but because we want God to do something. Uh, and I believe God is doing something, and God's going to continue to do something. We've only just begun to see what God wants to do. So God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, Brother Carl, dismiss us in prayer. And